My name is Angela. My name is Nicole. And welcome to the Ominous Stitch Podcast. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to another amazing episode of the Ominous Stitch Podcast. Yay! Yay! Did you miss us? It's been a whole week. We Ah. missed you. (laughs) We definitely missed you. (laughs) Oh, man. I can't believe spooky season is over. It's always spooky season to me. I know. (laughs) You want to keep it going. But not like like super spooky, I guess. Yeah. It's always spooky, though. It's always spooky. But it's fall. It's fall. Fall, y'all fall y'all and thanksgiving is right around the corner yay are you guys ready nope (laughs) i'm ready for christmas it's funny you're ready for christmas thanksgiving i know is kind of important but like (laughs) 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 but i'm already ready for christmas we always do a big like thanksgiving to do and this year's going to be even bigger because we're hosting my family so shout out to mike and janet and becca because those are patrons of ours they're actually coming for thanksgiving this year so that's gonna be exciting and so it's a lot of prep work for me um but i I love i love thanksgiving i love watching the parade i love you know that's true putting on lots of food for people and and having everyone hang out i don't like the cleaning part i don't i don't (laughs) do the cleanup part oh do you i do the cooking and then i take a nap and let you are so (laughs) lucky good for you and let other people clean up or it gets done the next day i love it (laughs) like i'm not oh that's so nice i'm not i'm not doing it good for you and i try to use as much as terrible as this is, I use as much disposable stuff as I possibly oh, can. Oh, no, that's... Yeah. <laughs> I know it's terrible at the same time, but it's awesome because you don't have to clean up. You just toss it away. Yeah, yeah. I love that. So yeah. should we talk about... Oh, so let's give a preview of this week's episode. So yes. this week's episode is going to be fun because we are both doing it together. Woo-hoo, it's another team. joint, a uh, little like a little joint episode here. Yes. And um, I'm excited about it. It's going to be cool. <laughs> She, she's just a little hesitation. I'm a little because I, you guys will see when we get yes. to it. I found out some things that I didn't know about good. my topic. That's okay. This is good. This is but for everybody else to know. So but before good. we do that, yes, we have this awesome thing that Nicole made. Nicole's doing Stitch Time today. Yes, that's and it right. was my birthday present. Birthday. I didn't. I didn't put any posts or pictures or anything well, about it. There and... is a picture of me oh, wearing it. That's right. For my birthday. That's right. I did wear you it were. that day. Yeah. That's true. That's true. That's true. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I surprised her with it. I was like, I'm going to make Angela something cool. And she did. And, and I, I love did. it. And it's my favorite colors. It is. Fall pretty, colors. It's, it's beautiful. It's very fall. So yeah. I'll talk about that today. But but before we do that, what's got you in stitches, Nicole? What's got me in stitches? Okay. Did you have to worry about student loans? Yes, okay. I did. And I had to- student loans and I paid them off. Ah. And so I do not have them anymore. Good. Woo-hoo! Good for you. So yes. I've worried about them for a long time now. Um, I applied for that. I don't know if you, if anybody out there has student loans, but I applied for the PS, uh, the public service loan forgiveness, PSLF. I always call it pumpkin spice. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Yes. (laughs) So I applied for that. Right. And I work at a state institution. So that actually counts. It's a government job. And I was like, cool. I've got maybe 
it was great because it, it worked and I was like oh shoot but I still have like at least a few years to still pay off of that uh-huh. and and accrue it but then my co-worker she actually worked where I used to work which is the same place that I met Angela <gasps> yay so that university is actually a uh non-profit and I yes. didn't know that yeah yeah did not know that yeah so I was like, oh, maybe they'll accept this. So I applied again uh-huh. for that one. Uh-huh. And this, and I didn't consolidate my loans to federal loans until like way after. Mm-hmm. So I didn't think it was, I had a shot. Mm-hmm. Turns out. Yeah. I paid them off. Yay! Yay! So thank the Lord, PSLF, the pub, uh, Pumpkin spice. Pumpkin spice. <laughs> I guess that's how I think about it. But public service loan forgiveness worked out because the, um, you know how it was like, like we didn't have to pay our loans for a while here. Yeah. Yeah. Because the, the government loan was like, forgiveness. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Because it was like COVID. We're going to stop it for a while. Thank yeah. God. I was going to have to start again in October. Uh-huh. And I was like, I kept checking and kept checking and October came. I was like, shoot, I got to start it again. And sure enough, my, my student loan thing was like, nope, you're good to go. So <gasps> that's awesome. You guys, it's like the like weight off my test is yes. like so big. Oh, so, I'm so excited for you. Yes. It is a huge thing when student loans are done, huge. when that debt is over. Yes. With. Yes. Oh my gosh. It's yeah. amazing. So yeah, I'm going to like, I feel good. Yeah. So, Hallelujah. Yes. Because I mean, it's a I couple hundred a month, yes, depending upon how much your loans are. Yeah. So before that, it was more, but then I consolidated and still was a, yeah. a lot, but it was like for a long time. Like, yeah. And if I didn't have public service loan, I would have been paying till I was like 60 almost. Yeah. Oh, man. Yes. So, Nicole, that's so exciting. Yes. So I'm I just so wanted to share that. I'm so happy, Good everybody. News. The best news ever. Yay. So, yay. Yeah. So, Angela. Yeah. What's got you in stitches? So, I'm kind of doing a Nicole thing today. <laughs> Nicole brought this to me, and I was like, I don't know what to do for stitch time. And she's like, do this. Do and this. I'm like, okay. Okay. Because so it's the best. This is a Nicole thing. So, this comes from manofmany.com. And this is a scientific study yes. where they did for the top 10 scariest uh, movies, movies of horror movies time. of all time. And so what they did, and correct me if I'm wrong, because I'm going off the information <laughs> you gave me. So what they did is they did an analysis. They tested people's blood pressure as they were watching this. Maybe their heartbeats. Uh, their heartbeats. Yes. And um, to see what scared them the most. Yes. As they what were got watching their, these What movies. got their heart pumping more. Yeah. What got their heart pumping more. So this more. is actually scientific. And we scientific. did this before. We did this in an episode before. I think we talked about, I forgot what movies we were talking about. Maybe um, I don't know. Hereditary, I think maybe. Oh yeah. I remember Hereditary. Is yeah. It's yeah, in that talked list. About yeah. that. Is, so they did do top 20, but we're just going to do top 10 today, I think. Okay. So this one I have not seen. Number 10 okay. is called The Visit. I have not seen that. Oh, <laughs> it's an M. Night Shyamalan. Oh, is it the Christmas one? It's M. Night Shyamalan's triumphant return to pop culture kicked off with The Visit, an utterly terrifying film that saw the filmmaker back to his best. How do I not know about this one? The story follows Becca and Tyler, who plan a week-long stay at their grandparents' place. That's right. As time wears on, the pair begin to question whether the trip away was a horrifying mistake. While this one is sure to elicit some scares, don't be surprised if you find yourself laughing at points. There's a fair amount of comedy in here as well. This sounds like something that I would absolutely love. Yeah, that we would love. 
Okay, we we'll need have to, to watch it some point. find this okay. and watch this one. Number 10, okay, The so Visit. Number 10, The Visit. And I love M. Night Shyamalan Me too. Stuff, so, yeah. Not all of it, because it's kind of weird, <laughs> yeah. but most of it's pretty but good. But most of it's good. Yeah. So the next one is The Descent. Which, which we I, watched. I hated it. You didn't, did it not make your heart beat? No, it made me annoyed. Oh, I think people don't like enclosed spaces. Yeah. So that's probably a big part Yeah, because you're trapped. Yes. You can't get away. Yeah. And yeah. if you have claustrophobia, you're going to not want to watch this movie. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. So The Descent, which we have watched, famous for its Salvador Dali style cover. Yes. Uh, Okay. Because they make the skeleton out of the bodies. Did you? Oh. Maybe not. Okay. Okay. (laughs) The Descent caught more than a few eyes in the local blockbuster back in the day. According to the Science of Scare study, the film secured a 14% difference between resting BPM and movie BPM. Interesting. Good enough for the ninth spot on the scariest horror movies of all time list. From a plot perspective, The Descent follows a group of friends who become trapped inside a cave whilst out exploring things become worse when it is re- revealed that they aren't alone definitely a heart racer the descent is one scary movie worth watching this halloween Ooh. Ooh. if you want to know the bpms they have that on here too that's cool so uh the descent is the resting bpm is 65 and the movie bpm was 79 for a difference of 14 percent wow. because math <laughs> hashtag because math good job angela <laughs> the visit the m night Shyamalan, the one before the resting bpm is 65 i'm feeling it's going to be 65 for all of them <laughs> the movie was 79 so also 14 percent. okay the highest bpm strike was 100 Ooh. and the highest on the descent was 122 nice so that's why it probably factored yep higher okay so for a resting bpm of 65 and a movie bpm of 80 difference of 15 percent we go to the Babadook. Ah, oh, Babadook. Babadook? Is that how you say Babadook. it? Babadook? Uh, you've never seen this, have I you? I have not seen it, no. My husband and I talk about it all the time because everyone rants or raves about this movie. Uh-huh. We hated it. <laughs> <laughs> We're like, this movie was dumb. I'm sorry, everybody who loves Babadook, but okay. It had some jump scares, though. So. A runaway hit. Uh, <laughs> see? <laughs> the Babadook is one of those scary movies that stays with you. Mm-hmm. Despite having a measly budget for just USD $2 million, they made it for $2 million. It's so a lot of money. but It's a lot of money, but not for a movie yeah yeah uh the film slowly built a reputation for being one of the scariest horror movies of all time and science sciences has backed that up the plot centers around a single mother plagued with the violent death of her husband battling with her son's fear of a monster lurking in the house the woman slowly discovers there is a sinister presence all around her womp womp I begged it. Nicole's not a fan. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. If anyone out there is the same with me, let me know because that was not a good movie. Another one that has a BPM difference of 15% with the highest BPM strike being 120 is The Conjuring 2. The Conjuring 2. We watched that? Uh no. no, we haven't seen the second conjuring. We've only seen the first conjuring. Oh, we haven't watched this the conjuring. This is the one too. in England. I didn't like this one either as much. Yeah, I haven't seen it, so yeah. I don't know. You can okay. watch it. The but... second conjuring film to make the top ten. Oh, so the conjuring one must have been. Oh no, it's in the second to make the top ten, so that must be ranked higher than this one. Yeah, this is number seven. Yeah, the Conjuring two <laughs> sees occult investigators Ed and Lorraine Warren back in action. This time, the husband and wife team are helping Peggy. 
a, a single mother and her four children rid their house of an evil spirit. The sequel didn't quite reach the lofty heights of the first, but the participants still reported some serious chills while watching this horror movie. Number six, with a BPM difference of 16%, so we're moving up, uh -oh. 1%, is It Follows. Uh. <laughs> Nicole guys. hates all these. I have not seen any of them. It's, well, except for The Descent. But. Yeah. It's funny. My husband just watched this one because he's never seen it. I've seen it a few years ago. Mm -hmm. It's okay. It's, <laughs> okay. Um, if you've seen it, I, I won't spoil it too much for Angela, but I feel like it's just like a scary STD following you. <laughs> so if you've seen it, you know what I'm talking about. Okay. <laughs> but read it, Angela. So, okay. One of the newer films to make the cut it follows tell the story of teenager Jay who sleeps with her new boyfriend Hugh only to suffer dire consequences. Terrifyingly, Jay learns that she is the latest recipient of a fatal curse that is passed from victim to victim via sexual intercourse. Okay, dumb. See? Isn't it? It's a scary STD following you. <laughs> All STDs are scary. No. That's but this dumb. one's even scarier because it'll kill you. Dumb. Thank you. Dumb it's premise. supposed to be pretty, like like cinematography and uh -huh. like music. It's supposed to be good. No. But the premise just messes me up. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Chased by death, Jane must find the answer to the curse before it's too late. With a peak BPM of just 93. <laughs> oh, just 93. <laughs> just 93. It follows definitely isn't one for jump scares, but is still one of the scariest horror movies of all time. Mm. <laughs> March Simpson anyone yep. mm. all right so this one has a difference of 17% with the highest BPM strike of 127 so this one probably has jump scares yep. I don't know what it is yet because uh -oh. I haven't scrolled oh. up yet so let's see what it is what is it what is, what is it? it what is it what it's is like Christmas. it <gasps> I have seen this movie oh. and it is scary yeah. it did do a number on me okay paranormal activity hey that's a good one that is a good one a series that decreased in quality as it went on. <laughs> That's fair. I love that. That's I love fair. that. Paranormal Activity has copped a rather unfair amount of criticisms in our eyes, and now science can back us up. According to the study, viewers who watched the first film reported a 17% difference in BPM. Mm. I've only seen the first one, so oh. I can't... I can't, it doesn't diminish anything for me because I've only seen the first the one. I understand how they've made creepy. more because I know the the what happens now. at the end. Yeah. So the so, second one, I think you'd like. I'm Okay. Maybe okay. we'll watch, so that, watch that one. Okay. A low cost masterclass filmed on a budget of just $15,000. That's it? That's it. See, that's astounding. That's incredible. Paranormal Activity went on to gross a whopping USD $193 million. How much did they pay the actors then? Like nothing. It yeah, must have been like a student only film. 15, yeah. I mean, it was all shot with like camcorders yeah. and stuff. So, right. I mean, they didn't have fancy. Yeah, but that's a lot of time to do all that yeah. stuff. So, amazing. And that actress, man, she was awesome. She if did great. She was paid nothing. So, yeah. hopefully she got residuals from I this hope. movie. <laughs> hope she signed the right contract. Yeah. It tells the story of a young couple terrorized by evil occurrences in the night through a series of found footage style shots. An innovative approach to the genre, paranormal activity, is definitely one of the scariest horror movies of all time. Huh. I will agree because it feels real. And, and yeah. when I watched it, I was like, Mwah. yeah, when it first came out, it was amazing. Yeah, it was really creepy. Yeah. Okay. One of my not favorite <laughs> movies, but I don't know. <laughs> Just because it was so cringy and, okay. and 
but I love Tony Collette. So you know where oh, I'm going. Oh yeah, yeah. What number is it at? Number four. Really? Number four. Should be number one. Yeah. Okay. The BPM, it was number one last year. Oh, uh, was it? The BPM difference is eighteen percent, with the highest BPM strike of one one oh nine. Because okay. there's no. Not well, I mean, there's a couple jump scares ish. Mm, no, at the, in the end, end, it gets real creepy. Yeah, so okay. I don't want to watch at the end. It's right, <laughs> we're talking about Hereditary, of course. <laughs> okay, this one flew under the radar when it was first released back in 2019, but we can safely say say those who saw it remember it. Hereditary tells the story of the Graham family who slowly unearth cryptic and increasingly terrifying secrets about their ancestry as the thread begins to unravel the family must outrun the sinister fate they have inherited <laughs> mm. which they don't nope. spoiler spoiler <laughs> such a good movie yeah coming in at number three the bpm difference is 20 percent with the highest bpm strike of 129 nope. this one we have seen uh-huh we have talked about a sequel already on this list. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Conjuring. Yes, it woo, is woo. The Conjuring. Coming in at number three, The Conjuring. Probably the best modern horror franchise going around at the moment. Uh, it's really good. The the nun that we just watched. No. Nun 2. <laughs> no. Uh, it, <laughs> <laughs> Don't you make sequels that's just a cash you can. grab, yeah. yeah. It didn't go in the direction it should have. It but didn't. That's our opinion. You guys can enjoy it if you want to. It still has wonderful cinematic moments. Yes. But let's talk about The Conjuring. The Conjuring apparently peaked at the first film. Okay. So, yeah, yeah, they don't like the second one. Yeah, I don't either. The study showed respondents watching the first film in the series had a heart rate of 85, peaking at 129 during the scariest point. I can see that. Once again, it's James Wan. Love James Wan. Delivering the chills in this story that follows consult demonologists Ed and Lorraine Warren as they help rid the Perrin family of a mysterious entity. Mm. The Conjuring at so number good. three. So good. Do you want to guess at number two? Nope. It is another movie that we have seen. Okay. I and don't know it because I wasn't looking at the list. So. I love this movie. You loved it? Okay. Yeah, I love this movie. Uh, we, you and I went to see a sequel of it in the movie theater and it was the first time I sat in a vibrating chair and was like, what? <laughs> Um, um, but it's the first one of yes, the franchise of, of five. Tip-toe, yes. What is it called? I know you never remember this one because you get it confused with conjuring, conjuring, but it's not. It is insidious. That's right. <laughs> oh, insidious. So the difference is twenty one percent, and the wow. highest strike is one hundred and thirty three. Wow! Right? That's huge. That's creepy. So insidious. The first in the insidious film series came in as the second scariest movie ever, and it's fairly huh. unsurprising. Yeah. The mixture of classic film tension, mystery, and paranormal activity makes Insidious a perfect example of modern horror. The film follows couple Josh and Renee, whose son Dalton mysteriously falls into a coma after the family moves to a new house. When paranormal events start occurring, the true frights begin. With horror expert James Wan... Love James Wan. Helming the ship for the Insidious franchise, it's a little wonder participants had their hearts racing. Mm -hmm. So we are big James Wan fans. Apparently, he does scary good because he's got got three. He's got number three and number two on this list. That's right. He also has Aquaman. (laughs) (laughs) I haven't seen Aquaman. Uh, It's it's hilarious. You have to watch it at some point. Oh, interesting. Oh, we have seen the number one. Okay. Okay. We have seen the number one. Let me see if I can give some hints. So the difference is 32% wow. of, the, of the BPM. Okay. And the highest strike is 131. Okay. okay. 
Um, it's another movie title that we can never remember. The the main character is a novelist. Sinister. Yes. <laughs> good job. You remember the title of it. I remember it. that one. It's always a one word one. I don't yeah. Remember. That was good. See? It was good. Sinister was good. The boogeyman yeah. guy. He's yeah. creepy. It is creepy. And it really did. had some really good storytelling uh-huh. elements. And, and the yeah. jump scares. Yeah. And the kids. Oh. So Sinister is good. So, I can see that. Oh, yeah, you watching like the videos, it. the home video. Oh, so yeah. good. Okay. Science has crowned a winner with a difference in resting heart rate to BPMs strike of 32 percent 2012's sinister has topped all comers in the spooky stakes starring ethan hawk as an ailing true crime writer ellison oswald the film is a harrowing depiction of lies deceit and supernatural endeavors when oswald discovers the existence of a snuff film showing the deaths of a family he vows to solve the mystery moving his own family into the victim's home proves to be a lot more than he bargained for however as he encounters more than a few things that go bump in the night movie respondents reported a watching bpm of 86 making this one sustained scare <laughs> so the whole movie everyone's like what's gonna happen yeah it, and that's how it feels yeah it's a good movie yeah it's yay. good it's cool. good that's yay fun. that was good a fun job. list i like that yay good job science how, how many of these scary movies have you seen? I'm excited that we've reviewed so many of them. So that means that I don't have to watch even scarier <laughs> movies. I've already seen I, know, them. I already told you guys which ones I don't like. So we'll probably not watch those. <laughs> okay, good. Oh, that was fun. That was okay. Fun. So, so I'm ready for you to explain this amazing vest. Yay! And you have stitch time. So are we okay. ready to get stitching? Let's get stitching. Let's get stitching. going to discuss what I made for Angela, which is super cute. And it's a summer days cardigan. Yeah. So it's like a sleeveless, cute, like overthrow that like maybe you're not like super cold, but you're not super hot. <laughs> I don't know. I just thought it was really cute. It's really cute. And I'm like really excited because first of all, it's in my favorite colors, which are just variations of orange and yes. gold. And, and it's like yeah. a variegated, but only within like oranges and yellows. Almost. Yeah. I love even, it. Like, yellow. Yeah. 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 It's all um, orange. But it's, she orange the, is my favorite. Yes, I know. <laughs> <laughs> so the website this is from is theturtletrunk.com. How cute is that? Right? The Turtle Trunk. And I'll put this link on our episode show notes when it comes out so you can click on the link. Um, but it's super cute. And what I love about it is, again, you could choose any color. It's really light. And you could actually make it as short as you want or as long as you want. Mm-hmm. So a couple things before I kind of just give you a quick overview of the pattern. It's super easy. First of all, um, you use a K hook, which is a 6.5 um, hook. K hook. K hook. <laughs> and um, you're not doing a lot. You're doing a slip stitch at some point, a ch- um, chains, uh, double crochets. And the one that I got really good at that Angela kept trying to tell me, and I was like, what am I doing? <laughs> a front post double crochet. Yes. And a back post double crochet. Yay. So those are the two that if you don't know how, what to do, there's so many YouTube videos to show you. Angela explained it to me millions of times and I still was like, oh, and then <laughs> you do it more yeah, and you get it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. 
But those are the two most advanced ones, okay? And so what's going to happen, the way you make it, it's vertical. So it's, it's, again, it's as long as you want, actually, versus the width, because you're making three panels. You're making a back panel and then your two front panels. And what's cool about this pattern is it gives you the kid sizes if you want to make it for a kid, and it gives you adult sizes. Oh. Now, a couple things before I, I say, so the first one you make is the back panel. It gives you how many chains you want to make um, to make it the size you want. What I did for Angela, because I know Angela's taller and I wanted to make it longer, the last amount of chains on here says 110. I made mine 128. Oh, wow. Yeah. Really? Yeah. So I made yours <laughs> way awesome. longer because I just thought it was cuter long. And you're bigger. I mean, not bigger, but you're Tall. taller. Yeah. So your legs are longer. I was like, oh, she's probably going to want it a little longer. So yeah, I love it. I yeah. love like long. I'm wearing yeah. this like really long duster yeah. right now. And they're too. cute. Yeah. 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 So 128 chains is what I did. Um, so there's four rows that you repeat. That's it. Four oh, rows. Wow. So the first row that you make... Um, well, you're going to chain, right? So chain your hundred and whatever you want. So I did 128. Your first row, what you want to do is double crochet in the third chain from the hook. Mm -hmm. do, do Double crochet. Then all you got to do is double crochet the rest of the way. Yay. Okay? So that actually, that's the only row that you'll do that. So always your first row and all three panels is just a big double crochet across. Okay. Row two, this is one you'll repeat. So you chain two and you turn and what you want to do, this is the row of all those front post double crochets and the back post double crochets. That's all you do. So in the first stitch, when you turn, you're just going to do a front post double crochet. Mm -hmm. Then you alternate. You do the back post. And then you just keep doing that. Oh, you alternate between front, front and back, and back. Front, back yep. front, back. Got that's it. That's it. Okay. That's okay. like the alpine stitch. Yes. Or I think it's alpine is or alpine? one of them. We did <laughs> We did one that was like, just was that? Just alternate front, yeah. front and back. That's it. Okay, so that's row two. And this is, remember row two. I'll come back to that. Row three, you chain two and turn again. And then this one is fun. You double crochet in the first stitch. You chain one. Then you skip one. Then you double crochet in the next two stitches. So one, two double crochets. Mm -hmm. Chain one, skip one. And that's what you're going to repeat. So two double crochets, chain one, skip one. That's two it. double crochets, chain one, skip yeah. one. Got the, it. The first one is just one double crochet. Yeah. Because okay. the chain two kind yes. of acts as. Exactly. Yeah. And then at the end, you just double crochet in the last stitch. So always know the last one you have, you're just going to do a double crochet. Mm -hmm. Okay. That's row three. Row four, you chain two and turn again. And then this one, you just double crochet in the first stitch then you'll see a big chain space below it, right? So you double crochet in the chain space, double crochet in the next two stitches. So chain space, double crochet, double crochet. Yes. And that's all you do. You repeat that. Oh, so it's like another row of double crochet. So it's almost yes. kind of like row one. Right. You're just but doing a row of double crochet. But you have to make sure space. you're double crocheting in the chain space. That's it. Aha. That's pretty easy. And then you go back to the alternating ones. Or you do another row of double crochets. No, and that's okay. it. So now you go back to row two. And then you just repeat two, three, and four every time. That's oh, it. Oh, what? So two, three, four. That's two, three, awesome. Four. Now, the most important part that they tell you as your last row, which you, they their last last row is 50 in this one. So it just depends, again, how, how big you want it. Right. You just have to make sure you end in row two. So front post and back post crochet. Oh, that's it. Okay. So you make sure you end in that one every time. 
So however wide you want to make yep. it, make sure you end in row two. Yes. That's it. Cool. Two, three, four, two, three, four, two, three, four, two, three. So I had, that's why I was using my uh, reminders. I was like writing them out and I had to like remind myself, but then you get in that pattern and it, it gets easier. I promise. Yeah. So my biggest thing I want to tell you all is that when you're making it for women, yeah, we got booties. Usually. <laughs> so I just, I wish I made mine for Angela just a little wider. I mean, for me, it doesn't fit as well for her. It like fits almost perfect, but, um, yeah, your booty. I forgot. If you got, if you takes, got hips, make yes. sure you're measuring accordingly. You want to measure a little bit more <laughs> around because I was thinking like it's wide. I was like, it's long. I was like, perfect. You know, but then when, um, and I was like, it'll stretch, but if you got a booty, it's not going to stretch as much. So yeah. heads up on that. Make room for the booty. Yes. <laughs> yes, exactly. So your back panel, I suggest a little wider, whatever you want that you think. And then the front panels are fine. So the front two panels are exactly the same. You just chain 128 and you're making two of these and you do exactly the same. You row one, you do all the double crochets from the third and then you repeat two, three, and four. Okay. That's and then until, until how wide is, are those panels? Yeah. So that panel I made exactly what they did. I think, let me see here. I did a hundred. Yeah. It ends about 108. So you chain 110. That's mm -hmm. the biggest I did. Cause it was, uh, or no, or 128. 128. Right. Mm -hmm. So then it ends in like 126, I think, because you're doing those extra two, right? They don't count. So, okay. Very cool. So it's cool. And then all you got to do is just kind of slip stitch it together those panels together and you put it on the ground. She shows you exactly kind of how to do it. I just did it myself. I was like, I think so, I got okay. It. So the panel, the front panel, I'm sorry, is, is you end in row like 20 ish. If you're doing the larger size. Oh, oh yes. Yes. I'm okay. sorry. Yes. You're right. You're okay. right. So you're ending in about row 20. Okay. Yeah. So two, um, two twenties. Yeah. Yeah. For, for Angela, actually, you know what I did? I think I went up to 17 because there's the numbers are 11. That's extra small. Um, 14, 14 is small, medium, 17, 17 is kind of large. And then 20 is extra large, I think. Okay. So I, th I almost did 14 to 17 for you. Uh, okay. Okay. Yeah. So however wide you want the panels to be. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. But the, I think the back panel is more important than the front panel. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Cause I was like, Oh, it's a little bit. There. And you're always going to end in row two and row That's two. That's okay. it. And then you assemble, you just kind of, like I said, slip stitch it over. So there's a shoulder seam. You want to make sure you have enough space. She gives you, um, the amount of inches per armhole actually went wider. Yeah. Make sure you leave armholes. <laughs> <laughs> That's important. It is important. Make sure you leave armholes. Yeah. But I did. So for me, for Angela, I actually did a little bit more because I just wanted it more comfy. Mm -hmm. And then she even mentioned that it's optional to kind of leave the, the side panel on the bottom open a little more. So that a little can, more booty room. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it kind of folds over, but I did it all. I went from the bottom to the top to the, where the arms ended. So it's really cool. It's easy. I promise. Cause I don't do, um, <laughs> clothing very much. You're making like big rectangles and then you just yeah. seam them together. That's exactly yeah. what that is. So it's cool. And uh, the stitching of it looks awesome. It looks way yeah. more complicated than what it actually exactly. is. Exactly. That's what I love. It's very about it. pretty. And I love the yarn. You guys, this is so pretty. Yay. Nicole like nailed it. I remember when I pulled it, I was like, <gasps> and I was so excited. And I You're was so like, sweet. put it on. I changed my outfit she did. so that I could put that on. She could wear it. Yep. That was very sweet. Yay. So happy birthday. Thank you. I love it. But yeah, so I'll link this on our show notes and I'll, um, on our show notes on the website and I'll put it on the episode when you're reading the description of the episode, which I'm starting something new, you can just click on it and you can go check it out. Yay. Very cool. Yeah. All right. So, are we ready for story time? Are you ready for story I'm time? I'm ready for story time. It's story time. It's story time.
Stitchers. So for this week's episode, as I mentioned before, Nicole and I are sharing story time. And I'm... I don't know what she's talking about, so I'm excited to find out what hers is. Yes. But I know the, what yours is about a yes. little bit, though. So, well, yes. Yeah. So the idea <laughs> so, yeah. when we decided to do this episode, we I was talking about my topic, which are the crystal skulls. Ooh, ooh. And, you know, they, I've do, heard do, do, do. that they were... <laughs> do, do, do. Uh, exactly, right? <laughs> okay. We all know that Indiana <laughs> Jones used it in the movie. They used the crystal skulls in the movie. They did. There's a lot of mystery surrounding them. Um, and so I forgot about the Indiana Jones movie, even though I've seen it. Because <laughs> it's not that good. <laughs> I forgot about it um, because I what first brought my interest of the Crystal Skulls is um, I was watching the Joe Rogan experience. <laughs> Just a clip of it because it was Dan Aykroyd and I love Dan Aykroyd. Aww, and he's hilarious. I love Dan Aykroyd. And he loves the Crystal Skulls. He, he loves paranormal he stuff. He does. He is a is so ghostbuster. Cool. Yeah. But, you know, he loves paranormal stuff. So I was watching him on that and they started talking about the Crystal Skulls and he was talking about uh, a lot of the paranormal mm. uh, activity surrounding the Crystal Skulls. And yes, they are of ancient origin. Got you excited. That's And that got me excited. Uh-huh. And then I realized that, oh, the crystal skulls were featured on an episode of ancient aliens. Oh yeah. Right. So there's a whole episode of ancient aliens on the crystal skulls. And that's what I knew. And so I was like, Ooh, I want to dive in more about these because they sound fascinating. Yes. So I came up with that idea, but I was like, I don't know if I'm going to find out enough about the crystal skulls, but you know, they might be of, of alien origin origin thank you <laughs> they might be of alien origin so I want to you know find out more about that and then Nicole was like well, let me tag team on yeah. this episode with you and I'll talk about uh, aliens. Uf- aliens UFOs yeah UFOs so something. we're going to do some alien kind of a thing yeah so okay that was the idea for this episode as I started researching the crystal <laughs> skulls and I discovered more about them uh-huh <sighs> are you gonna spoil it well We'll see. Okay. So here's the thing. I will say that there is still much debate and much controversy about the origins of these skulls. Okay. Okay. Uh, skeptics. Mm-hmm. Skeptic m- fans. Modern science. <laughs> a lot of people out there believe that this mystery is solved. Okay. But there are still a lot of believers that believe the mystery is still unsolved okay. and out there and available to us oh. so skeptic pants on people i will definitely put them on and um at any rate these skulls are fascinating and they have a really crazy history to them that's so cool. that's what we're going to dive into i love it and then we'll let nicole take it away with aliens because <laughs> that was my original intent was aliens but yeah whatever we'll see okay so the crystal skulls Ooh. here we go so this little blurb is from history.com there's lots of, there's so much information about these and I tried to condense it down as much as I can. I might repeat myself a few That's times, okay. but um, we'll dive in. Okay. So beginning in the late 19th century, around a dozen carved skulls, there are 13 that are part of this mystery. Okay. Okay. Made of clear or milky white quartz, also known as rock crystal, made their way into private and public collections around the globe. Since then, the origins of these crystal skulls have been the subject of ongoing mystery and controversy. According to the people who claim to have discovered the skulls, they date back thousands or even tens of thousands Mm. of years to ancient Mesoamerican civilizations such as the Aztec, the Toltec, the Mixtec, or the Maya. Interesting. 
And it is also believed that these artifacts were given to these civilizations hmm. by aliens. Huh. Right? Gifts. Gifts from alien species that okay. have come down and mingled with these people, helped them out with their technology. That because you know, there's lots of things of these Mesoamerican people the theories, that were yeah. like, Well, we talked about the stargates and stuff, yeah, yeah. We've talked about star, and interestingly, the skulls are kind of uh, connected a, to a, a stargate kind Ooh, of a thing. Okay? Interesting, okay. So, um. Many of those who believe the crystal skull's ancient provenance attribute supernatural powers to the objects, including healing properties and the power to expand a person's psychic abilities in their presence. Ooh. They were believed that these skulls were used in different healing ceremonies and all kinds of different things of these ancient peoples, right? Some have linked the skulls to the lost city of Atlantis. Oh, cool. Right. Or have claimed them as proof that extraterrestrials visited pre-Columbian civilizations such as the Aztecs. The 2008 movie Indiana Jones and the Kingdom <laughs> of the Crystal Skulls capitalized on the ongoing mystery as well as the passion the Skulls believers bring to their side of the argument. Argument, mm. Okay. So it's a terrible movie, though. People that <laughs> fully believe in the... Well, yeah. yeah. People that fully believe in the power of these skulls and uh -huh. people that are like, No. <laughs> and you're wrong. so we're gonna hit both sides of this. nice okay. okay um some of the skulls were life-sized while others were miniatures mm, all elicited yeah some they're like tiny huh. all elicited excitement from the archaeological community this is one of my favorite theories about the 13 skulls this is how they become a portal okay Ooh. so someone created the myth or there is a legend surrounding these skulls that if all 13 skulls were ever reunited in the same place, secrets vital to the survival of the human species would be revealed. Like Kingdom so, of Skulls. Right. <laughs> exactly. So that's, they were supposed to be beamed up somewhere else, from, but that right? makes sense. This okay. is where it came from. Okay. So I have a little YouTube clip that I want to show Nicole. This Ooh. is from the Ancient Aliens. Okay. And this is encoded messages revealed in the Crystal Skulls. And we will include this in our show notes. Yeah, yeah. So I just showed Nicole a clip and the clip pretty much and it's from the ancient aliens episode on the crystal skulls. Mm -hmm. The clip pretty much points out that since we now have discovered the technology that we can encode messages in crystal quartz, which yeah. is what these skulls are, the belief is that aliens have encoded messages in these crystal skulls and when they are aligned together and we can figure out what the message is together then we'll be able to uncover secrets, secrets. about <laughs> about human life right love it so that's a that's a theory behind the crystal skulls there are lots of theories about the crystal skulls as far as i know no one has ever put them all together really? to see if any of this works why wouldn't they well because the people that um where these skulls are located or a lot of skulls some of them we don't know where they are anymore oh, okay. um because they've gone on to private collections or just kind of gone but you'll see when we start talking about okay. how they're debunked as to why people have not been enthusiastic about putting them together to see if anything happens Got right it. okay Again, there's a lot of controversy. Jump ahead. Okay. Yeah. So we're going to talk about some of the skulls that we know. Okay. Okay. So there are 13 total that started popping up around the early 20th century. Okay. I thought it was the 19th century, right? 18th, oh, 19th? 19th century. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So this one, the first one that we're going to talk about, and this is the site where the where Ooh, it came up pretty. here. 
where it was said to have been discovered. Oh, it said. It's said to have been discovered. She emphasized that. (laughs) Yes. I have to emphasize this because this is another reason that we will uncover later. So this is the Frederick Mitchell Hedges skull. The Mitchell Hedges skull, also known as the Doom Skull. Ooh. It's one that we've seen. It's the one that's probably most photographed. Well, there's a couple that are most photographed. They but all it's, look the same, very I feel like. But that's okay. They are very similar. Okay. So this one is very similar to the one in the British uh, collection, I believe, the British Museum. But we'll talk about that. So this one was said to have been found among the ruins of the Lubantan um, ruins <laughs> in modern-day Belize. Okay. Um, in 1924 or 1926. They aren't quite sure of the dating on that, but that's when it was said to have been found. So this is the Mitchell Hedges skull. Perhaps the most famous and enigmatic skull was allegedly discovered in 1924 by Anna Mitchell Hedges, adopted daughter of British adventurer and popular author F.A. Mitchell Hedges. It is the subject of a video documentary made in 1990 called Crystal Skull of Lubantun, it was examined and described by the Smithsonian researchers as very nearly a replica of the British Museum skull, almost exactly the same shape, but with more detailed molding of the eyes and the teeth. Mitchell Hedges claimed that she found the skull buried under a collapsed altar inside a temple in Lubant in British Honduras, now Belize. As far as can be ascertained, F.A. Mitchell Hedges himself made no mention of the alleged discovery in any of his writings on Lubantun. I'm never going to say it right. It's so hard to say. Do you want me to look it up? No, it's just because the N... two double A's. Well, it's the N that goes before the T. Lubantun. Lubantun. I don't want to say it right. (laughs) (laughs) It's hard. Oh, my goodness. Total side note. This is a squirrel (laughs) thing. Have you seen the video of the Irish people trying to pronounce... Uh, English word. No. Is it or, fun? Oh, I mean, Scottish people. I'm sorry. Oh. It's Scottish people trying to. Yes, they cannot say purple. Really? Yes. They, purple. Th- there's a whole there's a whole list of things that were really hard for them to say. It's hilarious. It's a TikTok. Oh, I love I it. I almost sent it to you the other night. Why didn't I will, you? I don't know. I should send it have. to me later. But they, it's okay. so funny. I love I will, it. I, will I love pull Scottish it up and accents. Send it to you. And they They're can't, so cool. They can't say these things together. It's hilarious. <laughs> okay. Okay. Anyway, back on back to on. the crystal skulls. Others present at the time of the excavation recorded neither the skulls' discovery nor Anna's presence at the dig, which is important to note. Um, Because that goes towards a theory as to why the skulls are not real. Mm. Recent evidence has come to light showing that F.A. Mitchell Hedges purchased the skull at a Sotheby's auction in London on October 15, 1943 from London art dealer Sidney Burney. In December 1943, F.A. Mitchell Hedges disclosed his purchase of the skull in a letter to his brother, stating plainly that he acquired it from Burney. Okay, so the dad says... No, she did not find it. But Anna maintained her entire life that, yes, she did. Wow. Right? Really? Yes. Interesting. Okay. The skull is made from a block of clear quartz about the size of a small human cranium, measuring some 5 inches or 13 centimeters high, 7 inches or 18 centimeters long, and 5 inches or 13 centimeters wide. The lower jaw is detached. In the early 1970s, it came under the temporary care of freelance art restorer Frank Dorland, who claimed upon inspecting it that it had been carved 
with total disregard mm-hmm. to the natural crystal axis and without the use of metal tools. Interesting. Right? Wait, so what did they use? So the idea is that they used stones over hundreds of years and just ground them down until they reached the desired. That's crazy. Right. So that's that's crazy. How sorry. That's how the they described that the Mesoamericans created these (laughs) or or aliens, aliens, aliens created them and gave them to them. Right. (laughs) Okay. Dorland reported being unable to find any telltale scratch marks except for traces of mechanical grinding on the teeth. And he speculated that it was first chiseled in rough form, probably using diamonds and the finer shaping, grinding and polishing was achieved through the use of sand over a period of 100 to 150 to 300 years. He said it could be up to 12,000 years old. Now, the fun thing about crystal quartz is that you cannot carbon date it. So you have no idea how old it is. That's crazy. They couldn't carbon date it. Wow. Right? So that's why they're like, I don't know how old it is, right? Okay. Okay. Although various claims have been made over the years regarding the skull's physical properties, such as an allegedly constant temperature of 70 degrees Fahrenheit, Dorland reported that there was no difference in properties between it and other natural quartz crystals. While in Dorland's care, the skull came to the attention of writer Richard Garvin, at the time working at an advertising agency where he supervised Hallett Packard's advertising account. Garvin made arrangements for the skull to be examined at Hewlett Packard's Crystal Laboratories in Santa Clara, California, where it was subjected to several tests. The labs determined that only it was not a composite, as Dorland had supposed, but that it was fashioned from a single crystal of quartz. The laboratory test also established that the lower jaw had been fashioned from the same left-handed growing crystal as the rest of the skull. No investigation was made by Hewlett-Packard as to its method of manufacturing or dating. As well as the traces of mechanical grinding on the teeth noted by Dorland, Hmm. Mayanist archaeologist Norman Hammond reported that the holes, presumed to be intended for support pegs, showed signs of being made by drilling with metal. See? Metal. Metal, which... They the said they couldn't. didn't have, right? Okay. <laughs> Anna Mitchell Hedges refused subsequent requests to submit the skull for further scientific testing. She's like, no. She's like, <laughs> stop secret, it. stop it. <laughs> I found it at the at the at the site. Lubonton. I said it. I said <laughs> it. Did it. Okay. <laughs> the earliest published reference to the skull is is the July 1936 issue of the British anthropological journal Man, where it is described as being in the possession of Sidney Burney, a London art dealer who was said to have owned it since 1933 and from who evidence suggests F.A. Mitchell Hedges purchased it. Right. We already talked about that. Yep. Um, even though Anna maintained to her death that she found it at the dig site. F.A. Mitchell Hedges mentioned the skull only briefly in the first edition of his autobiography, Danger My Ally, 1954, without specifying where or by whom it was found. He merely claimed that it is at least 3,600 years old, and according to the legend, it was used by the high priest of the Maya when he was performing esoteric rites. It is said that when he willed death with the help of the skull, death invariably followed. Naming it the Doom Skull. 
<laughs> I love it. All subsequent editions of Danger My Ally omitted mention of the skull entirely. Mm. So interesting. Yeah. In a 1970 letter, Anna also stated that she was told by the few remaining Maya that the skull was used by the high priest to will death. For this reason, the artifact is sometimes referred to as the skull of doom. Ooh. Anna Mitchell's hedges toured with the skull from 1967, exhibiting it on a pay-per-view basis. Make a money off the Woo-hoo. doom skull. Somewhere between 1988 and 1990, she toured with the skull. She continued to grant interviews about the artifact until her death. In her last eight years, Anna Mitchell Hedges lived in Chesterton, Indiana with Bill Homan, hmm. whom she married in 2002. She died on April 11, 2007. Since that time, the Mitchell Hedges skull has been owned by Human. He continues to believe in its mystical properties. Interesting. So he's still a believer. He and Anna believe. Yeah. Yes. Okay. They fully believe in the skull. Interesting. This next skull is called the Paris skull. Crystal skull at the Musée du Quai Branly, Paris. The largest <laughs> of the three skulls sold by Eugene Bobin. Bobin. Who we will learn more about. We will learn more about Mr. Bobin. To Alphonse Pinard, sometimes called the Paris skull, about 10 centimeters or four inches high, has a hole drilled vertically through its center. It is part of a collection held at the Musée du Quai Branly. 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 And that's all I know about the Paris skull. But remember Eugene Bobin. He's okay. important. Bobin. Bobin. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> <laughs> the Smithsonian skull. This one is an interesting story. I kind of like this story. Okay. The Smithsonian skull catalog number, which has a catalog number, which you will see in the notes. <laughs> I'm not going to go through it. Good job. In the collections of the Department of Anthropology Natural Museum of Natural History was mailed to the Smithsonian Institute anonymously Ooh. in 1992 what? and was claimed to be an Aztec object by its donor and was purportedly from the collection of the Porifero Diaz. Did I say that right? Sure. Yes. We're going to go with what I said. Porifero Diaz. It is the largest of the skulls weighing 31 pounds or 14 kilograms and is 15 inches or 38 centimeters high. The Smithsonian skull. So the collection of the Porfirio Diaz, I think there were three skulls in that collection. Really? I think. I think, if I'm remembering that correctly. And it's the largest. Yes, it's the largest. The next skull is the British Museum skull. The crystal skull of the British Museum first appeared in 1881 in the shop of the Paris antiquarian Eugene Bobin. See, I told you we would come back to Bobin. Ah. Its origin was not stated in his catalog of the time. He is said to have tried to sell it to Mexico's National Museum as an Aztec artifact, but was unsuccessful. Boban later moved his business to New York City, where the skull was sold to George H. Sisson. It was exhibited at the meeting of the American Association for the Advancement of Science in New York City in 1887 by George F. Kuntz. It was sold at auction and bought by Tiffany and Company, who later sold it at cost to the British Museum in 1897. This skull is very similar to the Mitchell Hedges skull, although it is less detailed and does not have a movable lower jaw. Oh, so just stay shut. Stay shut. The museum notes that although the stylization of the features of the skull is gen- is in general accord with other examples accepted as genuine Aztec or mis- Mixtec carvings. Mixtec. Mixtec. 
the overall appearance does not present an obvious example of Aztec or any other Mesoamerican art style. But misgivings began to grow about the skull's provenance, especially because of its connection to Bobin. <laughs> I just like saying his name. I love that. Uh, he was developing a bit of a reputation for himself as a rascal who occasionally traded in fake Rascal. No! Yep. You jerk. Yeah. Don't you fool us. And here's some other stories that I found out, found of uh, crystal skulls that I thought were exciting, but I don't know what skulls these are attributed to. Okay. But these are more stories of crystal skulls. A story has it that a Mayan family in Guatemala found a crystal skull in 1909. In 1991, it came into the possession of a Dutch woman called Yoki van Dieten. That's a fun name, too. Yoki. <laughs> Yoki. Who described herself as a spiritual adventurer. The skull has since been dubbed E.T. after the extraterrestrial in the movie E.T. and is said to have arrived from the Pleiades star cluster 444 light years away. Miss Van Dieten totes E.T. around the world to demonstrate its ability to cure ailments. So the E.T. skull. Love it. And then here's E.T. E. And here's another skull. This is, the, I think, the last skull that I have. The Shanara is a crystal quartz skull discovered in Mexico in 1995 Whoa. through the application of psychic archaeology. So someone's feeling it out? Yeah. Cool. They were like, mm, I sense uh, a presence of a crystal skull where here. Where are you? Where are you? Like its colleagues, it is claimed to possess amazing occult powers. Its current custodian is Michelle Nocerino of Portland, Oregon. For a fee, <laughs> she will guide you to Shanara's ability to open to open up resonant fields, portals into dream worlds, Ooh. communicate knowledge, establish pathways to the unconscious, open portals to other dimensions, and as a tool to stimulate healing. Ooh. So those are the skulls that I found. Okay. Those are the ones that I know about. Um, that's all you know about. That's, that's all I know about. <laughs> so let's talk about the supernatural properties of these skulls and their fascination. So stories about the skulls focus heavily on their perceived su supernatural powers. Joshua Shapiro, the co-author of Mysteries of the Crystal Skulls Revealed, cites claims of healing and expanded psychic abilities from people who have been in the presence of such skulls. We believe the crystal skulls are a form of computer which are able to record energy and vibration that occur around them, he writes. The skull will pictorially replay all events or images of the people who have come into contact with them. Interesting. I.e. they contain the history of our world. Weird. Right? Okay. That's an interesting thing. Old computer. Right. Most archaeologists and scientists are skeptical, to say the least. Skulls were prominent in ancient Mesoamerican artwork, particularly among the Aztec. So the connection between these artifacts and these civilizations is apt, okay. right? Makes yep. sense, right? It does. yeah. It was a symbol of regeneration, says Michael Smith, a professor of anthropology at Arizona State University. There were several Aztec gods that were represented by skulls, so they were probably invoking those gods. I don't think they were supposed to have specific powers or anything like that, but we're going to talk about more of the supernatural powers of the skulls from Wikipedia, Ooh. one of our favorite websites. 
So Wikipedia states that some individuals believe in the paranormal claim that the crystal skulls can produce a variety of miracles, including Anna Mitchell Hedges. She claimed that the skull she discovered allegedly, allegedly, (laughs) could cause visions and cure cancer. What? No. That she once used its magical properties to kill a man. What? Because it is the doom skull. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) I love that. Oh, and that in another instance, she saw in it a premonition of the JFK assassination. Okay. That's what she claims. She also toured with the skull for money. Mm. Just FYI. Mm -hmm. Throwing that out there. Yeah. In the 1931 play, The Satin Slipper by Paul Claudel, King Philip II of Spain uses a death's head made from a single piece of rock crystal lit by a ray of the setting sun to see the defeat of the Spanish Armada in its attack on the Kingdom of England. Hmm. Claims of the healing supernatural powers of the crystal skull have had no support in the scientific community, which has found no evidence of any unusual phenomena associated with the skulls, nor any reason for further investigation other than the confirmation of their provenance and method of manufacture. Hmm. Another novel and historically unfounded speculation ties in the legend of the crystal skulls with the completion of the previous Maya calendar Bakhtun cycle on December 21st, 2012, claiming that the reuniting of the 13 mystical skulls will forestall a catastrophe allegedly predicted or implied by the ending of this calendar. Hmm. Yep. That didn't happen. It didn't happen. (laughs) When I was in Belize um, in 2009, I think it was 2000 or it could have been 2008 when we when my husband and I got engaged, Mm -hmm. we were talking with some of our guides and we were visiting Mayan ruins and we were talking about he was talking about the Mayan calendar. And I was like, so what happens at the end? Because it's coming up in a few years. Like what happens? He's like. Just the calendar ends, the cycle ends, and then we start over again. <laughs> That's what he said. He was just like, matter of <laughs> fact, so he's like, it's, yeah, it's not the end of the world. It's just the end of that calendar cycle. And then and we, we start, start again. One. Yep. Silly. <laughs> like, the ending of the world. Which I, I thought that was like, it, it did so a lot to put me at ease. I was yeah. like, yeah, just it ends. And oh, then okay. we start over again. I'm like, oh, oh, cool. All right, cool. Uh an airing of the claim appeared among an assortment of others made in the Mystery of the Crystal Skulls, a 2008 program produced for the Sci-Fi Channel in May and shown on Discovery Channel Canada in June. Interviewees include Richard Hogland, who attempted to link the skulls and the... Hogland? Mi- Ho- Hogland, yeah. <laughs> Not Hovland, nope. Hogland. Hogland. Who attempted to link the skulls and the Maya life on Mars and David Hatcher Childress, prominent of lost Atlantean civilizations and anti-gravity claims. <laughs> Interesting. Crystal skulls are also referred by author Dronvalo Melchizedek. I think so. Kizedek. Get, get it. Yes. In his book, Serpent of Light, Ooh. he writes that he came across indigenous Mayan descendants in possession of crystal skulls at ceremonies at temples in the Yucatan, huh. which he writes contained souls of ancient Mayans who had entered the skulls to await the time where their ancient knowledge would once again be required. Interesting. The alleged associations and origins of crystal skull mythology in Native American sp- spiritual lore, as advanced by 
neo-shamanic writers such as Jamie Sams are similarly discounted. Instead, as Philip Jenkins notes, crystal skull mythology may be traced back to the Baroque legends initially spread by F.A. Mitchell Hedgens and then afterward taken up. By the 1970s, those crystal skulls had entered New Age mythology as potent relics of ancient Atlantis, and they even acquired a canonical number. There were exactly 13 skulls. Uh, <laughs> 13 to rule the world. None of this would have anything to do with North America Indian matters if the skulls had not attracted the attention of some of the most active New Age writers. New Age? New Age writers. Interesting. Okay. That's what I have about the skulls, the mythology. Okay. Now, this is where we get into the sad part. Okay. So this is uh, (laughs) dispelling a lot of the wonderful ideas that people have about mystery skulls, the mystery of the skulls. Okay. Okay. This little section is called the truth about the crystal skulls. This is an opinion. You can accept it or not. Okay. But this is where the skeptic pants come on. I like that. Okay. Okay. Doubts about the authenticity of these crystal relics were expressed by some beginning when they first appeared, but most were content to go along with the appealing narrative that had developed. Then in 1992, a mysterious parcel arrived at the Smithsonian National Museum of Natural History. Right? The Smithsonian skull. And this is where a skeptic pants really started to come on because this is the first time that the Smithsonian had their hands on, on a something. skull yeah. where okay. they could really investigate yes. and do Look all their it. science stuff, okay. right? The anonymous note that was attached to the skull says, this Aztec crystal skull purported to be part of the Perifio Diaz collection was purchased in Mexico in 1960. I am offering it to the Smithsonian without consideration. Hmm. (laughs) So the object was passed on to Jane McLaren Walsh, an anthropologist and expert in pre-Columbian art. She began a sleuthing expedition worthy of Mr. Holmes. Yeah, (laughs) I love it. The British Museum joined Walsh in her search for the truth. By using electron microscopes, the researchers were able to show that carving marks were made by tools not available to Aztecs or Mayans. So not from them. Right? Aliens could be aliens if they couldn't make it, right? True, that's true. That's the argument against it. The etch marks were likely made by a jeweler's rotary rotary wheel. Other tests revealed that the quartz came either from Brazil or Madagascar, not Central America. Lof. So the crystal was not available where these skulls purportedly should have been come from. Right. Okay. Okay. Next, it was the Mitchell Hedges skulls turn to get the once over. Anna Mitchell Hedges refused to allow a physical examination of the skull she owned. After her death in 2008, the skull was subjected to tests. And it, too, turned out to be of a quite modern provenance. Uh, And speaking of provenance, Walsh and her colleagues discovered that the earliest crystal skulls could be traced to the same source, Eugene Bobin. Hey, we know him. We know Bobin, who we met earlier. He likely had the skulls made in Germany and then palmed them off as genuine pre-Columbian artifacts. Yeah, jerk. Since Bobin showed the way, others have jumped into the fake skull trade and they continue to turn up backed by histories plausible enough 
to fool many. Yes, I can see that. Right? A lot of scoundrels have gone beyond the skull swindle, and museum curators around the world now lose, lose sleep wondering if some of their prized exhibits are also bogus. Aww. Jane McLaren Walsh is frequently called in to authenticate items and often has to pass the bad news that a treasured antique is, in fact, a forgery. Boo. Boo. So I have some more information about them testing all of the skulls that they found. Okay. And basically it's all the same thing. Yeah. They did electron microscopes. Electron stuff. microscopes. They have discovered that the skulls could not have been made by any tools that were available to, to Mesoamerican then. peoples. Right. Um, they have been made by metal tools mm -hmm. and modern tools. Which it looks like it has to be. And with a connection with Eugene Maubin, who uh -huh. sent out who... a lot of the skulls. Yep. Um, and... Yeah. So that's... He was known to be a faker and make yep. claims about some Trickster. things. Just to, you know, shiesty McShiesterson, make some money. Another thing, another thing that leads these skulls to being bogus is that even though Anna says that she discovered it at that site, remember how I went on to say that at Lubonton? I said it right again, Lubonton. I'm getting better <laughs> at it. Nobody witnessed that skull being uncovered at that archaeological site. It is the only skull that is said to have come from an archaeological site, but most importantly, no one has discovered a crystal skull from an archaeological site. It has never been documented. All of the skulls, all 13 of them, yeah. just appeared. Not from any archaeological dig. Hmm. It has Bogus. not been documented that way. They just appeared yeah. and started being like, circulated. Out of nowhere. Yeah. So okay. that's the big reason why skeptic pants are on. <laughs> skeptic pants. And I'm sorry to put skeptic pants on. But that's on. okay because... It, it, does show i mean like i i like that and then like you said on the other hand maybe it was i mean it, it's gotta be boban but like aliens could have done it you know yeah so. i mean you know a lot of people really do believe that these crystals do have a lot of healing properties that they are able sure to i you mean believe in something so much yes I, and it is crystal it, it crystals do yes. have healing properties yeah have you okay so i had i, I wanted to bring this up i have a friend who um came to my house one day and she brought a bunch of crystals and then started uh, balancing mm -hmm. my chakras with yeah. these crystals. And I could feel my body respond yeah. to the pull of the crystals. Just like the, the Reiki that I yeah, have. Yeah, exactly. And I've got lots of crystals now too. So I'm like, yeah. I like them. So, so you know, yeah, there's so that. Their own. But believe in them or believe in what science is telling you. Right. Is it aliens? Is it uh, Aztecans? No. Yep. I suggest that we get all 13 together. Try something out. And see what happens. Let's do it. Let's do it. Everybody find them. <laughs> <laughs> break into, no, don't break into your museums. No. That's bad. Have, but, but have that Walsh lady just do that. Like, yeah. Couldn't she just look at all 13 and try it out? I think so. so. I don't know. But it's really fun to go into the lore of that and to think yeah. about the skulls. And it's yeah, kind of neat. It's cool. I like it. Where did it come from? I don't know. <laughs> so that's what I have on the skulls. Take nice. it away, Nicole. I want to hear about UFOs. Oh, part two. Okay. So we are going to Canada. And it's not necessarily aliens, 
but it's a UFO encounter. <gasps> UFO. Yeah. UFO. So this UFO encounter is probably the best documented UFO case in Canada and possibly the world. And I'm talking about Stephen Michalik. I'm going to say Michalik. 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 He was an industrial mechanic and he witnessed something strange at the edge of the Falcon Lake Woods in Manitoba. So before Stephen Michalik moved his home from uh, moved from his home in Poland to Canada, he was a military policeman who had high morals and guidelines to serve his community. He was an upstanding citizen who loved his family and wanted to do right by them. So no, he was of sane and sound mind. Okay. Mm-hmm. Our story about Stephen Michalik though starts in May of 1967. Michaelic's side passion was geology. So it kind of ties into your courts and stuff. So he traveled many places to um, prospect gems, minerals, etc. And one of his favorite places to do this was Falcon Lake, which is about 150 kilometers or 93 miles east of Winnipeg. Here he had previously found quartz and silver, which is what he wanted to do again. He booked a weekend in May to go back and explore as he knew that the quartz veins within the Precambrian portions of the Canadian shield yielded other precious metals like gold and nickel. On May 20th, 51-year-old Stevens left his home and family in River Heights, Winnipeg and set up within Whiteshell Provincial Park at Falcon Lake. He set up and was working on a vein of quartz when he was startled by a gaggle of geese as they yeah. seemed to be going in a frenzy of oh, no. and flapping wings. Like, what, what's going on? Yeah. Once this happened, he looked up and saw two cigar-shaped objects with a large hump in the middle emitting a reddish glow and hovering only 100 and feet, uh, 150 feet away from him. Mothman! <laughs> then one of the objects descended and landed on a flat section of rock. At this point, the object seemed to take on more of a disc shape. While the other landed, uh, while the one landed, the other hovered in the air for a few minutes before flying away. Stephen believed that what he was seeing were experimental crafts, probably from the United States. So he decided to take the time and sketch out what he was seeing for the next half hour. Oh, it's a flying saucer. That is like the textbook flying saucer. Wow. He was very detailed. See that? Yeah. Afterwards, since the object was still there, Stephen approached it. Oh, yeah. Later, he recalled that the closer he got, the air became warmer and he could smell something foul like sulfur. Interesting. He could also hear the sound of whirring motors and hissing air. He noticed that there was no identifying insignia and the craft lacked any sort of seam on the metallic surface. Interesting. And speaking of the surface, he was in awe of how smooth it was like colored glass. He approximated it to be about 34 feet in length, which is 10.5 meters, and 15 feet high, about 4.5 meters. The color kept changing from gray to red, and he believed it resembled hot stainless steel with a golden glow emanating around the craft. Then he noticed that there was a type of door that was open on the side, illuminated by bright lights inside. He also heard voices, but they were muffled by the sounds the craft was making. Stephen believed that they sounded human with two discernible voices, one higher than the other. Interesting. Still thinking they were Americans, he called out and offered mechanical help to the Yankee boys if they needed it. Uh. But as soon as he said anything, the voices stopped. And there was no response. Thinking they might not have been American at that point, Stephen then tried calling out in his native Polish. 
Nothing. Then Russian, maybe? Nope. Then finally, German, still with no response whatsoever. Dude, he speaks a lot of languages. He does. That's awesome. I speak, what is it? I speak six languages. (laughs) (laughs) Now, even though he never heard any response, Stephen was still extremely curious. He threw on his welding goggles that he used to protect his eyes when chipping at rocks as a precaution and walked into the door of the craft. Stephen noticed light beams and panels on the walls flashing various colors. He didn't see anyone or anything living and ended up walking back out the door. But as soon as he did this, three panels slid across the door opening and sealed it shut. (laughs) So we're like, oh, no. Uh Then Stephen decided to touch the craft, but it was so hot (gasps) that it melted the fingertips of the glove he was wearing. Oh, what? So glad he was wearing something protective. Yeah. Yeah. Now, after he pulled his hand away from the craft, it began to turn uh, counterclockwise. And then Stephen noticed a type of panel that contained a grid of holes. All of a sudden, he was struck hard in the chest by a blast of air or gas that forced him backwards and set his shirt and hat on fire. Oh, my gosh. So these are the... So welding goggles are interesting. So, okay. It looks like he has the, the, the two. Okay. He's got the Have you ever worn welding goggles? First of all. No. You cannot see when the, when the panel is fully down. Oh yeah. You cannot see. It's hard to see anything. Unless there is like a a light happening. Oh, interesting. It's very similar technology to like eclipse glasses. Oh yeah. If you've worn eclipse glasses. It's like black. You can't see anything. You know? Okay. Because the the light is so bright, Bright, it really does burn your eyes. So shout out to my father-in-law. He is a welder. And so I've welded before oh my gosh. and I've had to wear, you know, the, the you yeah. can't see anything. So but I see that he has the flip up flip and down. Yeah, he can do. Flip so up he's down. just wearing the protective glass and not the um, the dark, the dark shade. Got yes. It. OK. So for those of you who understand welding goggles, that's you what understand what I'm okay. saying. He can see. He can see. <laughs> <laughs> Now, Stephen was able to rip off the burning garments he was wearing while the craft soon lifted off and flew away. Wow. Stephen felt extremely disoriented and nauseous, and he ended up stumbling through the forest and vomiting. Slowly but surely, he was able to get himself to his motel room in Falcon Lake. A nearby highway patrol officer, Constable G.A. Salaki, did see Stephen and assumed he was drunk, but didn't smell alcohol on him. Salaki offered to help Stephen to return and seek treatment at Falcon Beach, but Stephen really wanted to go home. But according to Stephen, I keep saying Stephen, it could be Stefan. Sorry, guys. Um, Salaki was opposite of helpful and refused to Uh, offer him aid. Oh, what? So there's two (laughs) differing stories there. Uh But he did get back to his motel and asked about a doctor, but the local doctor was absent. Stephen rested in his hotel room for a little bit. Then he called his wife to tell her what happened and that he would take a Greyhound bus back home. Soon, Stephen was able to get to the uh, Misericordia. Misericordia. There you go. Health center where they brought him into the emergency room. The doctors treated him for his burns to his chest and stomach that eventually turned into these raised sores in a grid-like pattern and matched what looked like an exhaust panel. Interesting. He also suffered from prolonged bouts of diarrhea, headaches, blackouts, and continued weight loss. He then checked into the Mayo Clinic for all of this, but their report came back that Stephen was of sound mind. 
And all of this, his ailments seem to match radiation poisoning. Ooh. Yeah. But they tested him in Pinawa, Manitoba, and everything came back negative. Huh. Following the incident, Stephen lost about 13 pounds. His lymphocyte or white blood cells in his immune system count drastically fell to near lethal levels and Ooh. even suffered from intermittent reappearances of his burns <gasps> that lasted his whole entire life. What? That's so. insane. Ooh, ooh, ooh. <laughs> I'm looking. You can. There's a picture. She has a picture of his burns on his on his stomach. Yep. That's crazy. So they're little lot, little dotted, great, uh, little great shape. Yeah, right? yeah. It looks like he's polka dots on his yeah. tummy, but it, they're in a grid pattern. Yep. That's crazy, Nicole. Mm -hmm. Now, word got out soon after about Stephen's run-in with the crafts, which brought in the RCMP, the Royal Canadian Mounted Police, the Air Force, the media, various government agencies, and of course, flocks and flocks of people. They all came in waves to his small home in River Heights throughout the next few years. Uh. As a caring citizen, all Stephen wanted to do was report what happened and make sure it didn't happen to anyone else. Even though the authorities constantly probed him and asked him the same questions over and over to see if it would change, Stephen's retelling of his encounter never wavered. Yet him and his family were criticized heavily, and his sanity was even questioned. His poor son Stan was bullied in school. Soon Stephen feared he should never have said anything, but he never backed away from his story. He never claimed to see any type of aliens and still considered it a secret military, military. craft. Mm, okay. That's safe. Right? That's like a safe way to go about it. Yes. Okay. Uh, but it looks not like anything we've seen before. Nope. It definitely looks like <laughs> an alien UFO. Yep. UFO. Now, numerous government officials visited the site on Falcon Lake. Stephen wanted to assist, but at that time, he was so ill, he couldn't even get solid food down. They found Stephen's glove and shirt and some tools, and they were all analyzed heavily by the RCMP crime lab, but they couldn't come up with what caused the burns. Oh, wow. Look at his shirt. It's all burned, but it has that same that pattern, pattern on it. <gasps> That's crazy. Yep. Ooh, I like this story. <laughs> I knew you would. And at the landing site, there was a circle about 15 feet in diameter that was devoid of any vegetation that was growing in other areas of the same rock outcropping. Uh -huh. They took soil samples and samples of Stephen's clothing that was found, and they deemed both were highly radioactive. Radioactive. <laughs> now, authorities also stumbled upon pieces of metal stuck in the rocks about a year after the incident. The metal somehow melted into the cracks. Ooh. They chipped them out and tested, and again, highly, highly radioactive. radioactive. Wow. <laughs> yep. This is cool. Yes. I've never heard of this. Me neither. And it's in Canada. It's in Canada. That's so cool. Michaelic eventually penned a manuscript entitled My Encounter with the UFO, published in 1967 by Osnova Publications in Polish, and later translated into English by Paul Pichin. Uh, Michaelic passed away in 1999 and reportedly still believed the UFO was an experimental aircraft. Then for the 50th anniversary, son Stan Michaelic co-wrote with Chris Rutkowski, When They Appeared, Falcon Lake 1967, the inside story of a close encounter. And they refer, they refer to the endless visitors and phone calls, media, and people that bombarded the Michaelic's life after the incident went viral. 
To this day, officials have deemed McCaleck's case and encounter as unexplained. Skeptics all claim that McCaleck's burns were accidental due to alcohol use and that the radioactive metal was planted to solidify the hoax. See, okay. No. <laughs> right? <laughs> he didn't even get no. up. He couldn't even get up. And no. Move. He was sick. And others claimed his burns were due to an allergic reaction. No. But like I said, Stephen McCaleck never wavered or backed down from the story he originally told until the day he passed. Okay. So I think this is a fun duality we have going on. I, I My skeptic pants are on for my story. My yes. skeptic pants are way off for yeah. yours. <laughs> he had an alien encounter. He had a UFO encounter. Yeah. I love how you're staying with <laughs> UFO, not alien. Because he never saw any. So he that never is saw really any. hard to say yeah. anything. But it is a craft that no one knew about. I mean, it, that technology, that 1960s didn't as far exist. as we know, does not exist. Yeah. And, and it's it's very much in common with all of the UFOs that we've seen and right. that we've you know Heard documented about. and stuff. Mm -hmm. <gasps> That's cool. And he was a nice guy. Like, it, he wasn't yeah. trying to get publicity. No, he was just like, I just want to live my life. Yeah. But this is what happened. This is what happened to me. And Canadians are not like... No, I'm generalizing <laughs> the Canadian public, but as far as Americans know, right? As far as we know, yeah. As far as we know, you know, Canadians aren't, you know, out to make a buck on something, and it no. doesn't seem like he was out to. He make was just trying to get. I mean, he was trying to make a buck by looking for gold, not looking for UFOs. Right. So yeah. Wow. Yeah. Ooh, I like this story. Thank you for saving the episode for me and like <laughs> you're welcome. <laughs> putting me back in my supernatural alien mood. No, I love it. it was good. I like both of them because they're like. very good contrasting UFO alien stories. Yeah. If you guys have any thoughts on the stories that we shared today, or if you have a story you want to share with us, we want to know. You can email us at theominousstitch at gmail.com. You can also comment on any of our social media platforms. We are on all of them all of the time, and we read your messages and we like them, and we sometimes write you back. Yep. Um, you can also jump over to podbean.com. That is where we host our little podcast here, and check us out at the Ominous Stitch Podcast. Check us out. Check us out. You can get show notes from each show that we've done. And you can also click on the little button that says become a patron. Ooh, so ooh. if you're on your phone, it's a little red button. If you are on your computer, it is a button in the upper right hand corner. Our patrons, we love them. Our patrons very much help us be able to do this weekly for you guys. So think about becoming a patron today. We will send you stuff. We will give you shout outs. We love our patrons. As much as we love our stitchers, but Yay. we do interact a little bit more with our patrons. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. This is a fun episode. We do have one more thing we one need more to thing. do. So let's get to it. It's movie time. This episode's movie review no one will save you released in 2023 imdb rating 6.3 stars and synopsis an exiled anxiety ridden homebody must battle an alien who's found its way into her home okay this movie guys you cannot stitch to it let me just put that out there <laughs> I was I was watching it and I was texting Nicole and I think I may have given Nicole a wrong impression because no. right off the bat I was like there's no dialogue right there really is there though. are she says three words yeah 
there are she says three words somebody else says three words yeah there's some like background well no but even the background chatter are not real words yeah you can't discern any words you're right and um so i like that though it's cool yeah but you have to watch the movie you can't you can't just listen to dialogue and get what's going on you have to watch it cool though this was the first um ufo movie alien movie with uh spoiler alert gray's gray aliens yeah that uh i wasn't like laughing about yeah they they were cool yeah i mean yeah it was good yeah i liked it i like this movie and it's the the whole the ending (laughs) was so confusing to me that i had to like read about it but what's neat about this movie it was you know it's about aliens it's about a big um invasion Uh right spoiler alerts but it's also about her and her like life and her past uh-huh that kind of forces her to do what she does like it's crazy like she's yeah. she's like a natural born killer without even knowing it yeah which yeah. is crazy right yeah um but the ending did you get it so i think i got it okay and we can talk offline on this because okay. i want People I want you it. guys to watch this yeah, movie I because spoiled it's it a cool. Little bit, but yeah, yeah, don't. It's cool. Go see it. The ending is it's is kind of kind open of. to interpretation because yeah. I think I I definitely have some questions on it. I'm glad okay. you read about it yeah. because I'm going to want to ask we'll you We'll talk the about questions. it. Okay. We'll talk about it offline. I don't want to talk about it. For we you don't want to spoil anything because we like this movie yeah. and we recommend it. Yeah. It's it's very different mm-hmm. from what you're expecting it to be. Yes. It's beautiful. Yes. It's her um, house is gorgeous. Oh, I know. <laughs> that was the first thing she texted me because it's a dollhouse and she collects dollhouses, yeah. but it's very it's much a vintage. Cool it's very house. much a, a dollhouse. And yeah. Nicole's like, oh, I love this house. I'm and like, I knew the you way would. she dresses. She's so vintage. She's a, yeah, she's very cute. She's very cute. The main actress is great. Um, yeah, she was on. Uh, um, uh, I've seen I watched her grow up on a TV show. She's been on you? a couple TV shows. Yeah, oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Um, now I'm going to click on her. Yeah, click I on her. No idea who. I'll tell you. I didn't recognize her. Last, Last Man, Man Standing. Standing. Yeah. Okay. So she was on Last Man Standing. That's what I know her from. I feel like there was something else that she was on that I've seen. I've seen her pop up in a couple of okay. things. But yeah, Last Man her. Standing. Um, but yeah, so she's. Okay. She's, she's in a great. Lot of things, she's great. Like. And she did so good because I, this feels like it would be the hardest movie to act in because you don't have words. You are just it's reacting all, and it's all visual. Yes. So, modern yeah. Family, she was in it. Modern Family. Interesting. I don't know who she was. In. Oh, okay. Anyway, but yeah, she was great. And um, it's just so interesting to see the dynamic of her in the town and this invasion. And then at the end, I'm not going to spoil anything, but it's just. It's different. Uh huh. It's a different take. Yeah. And I liked it. I like it. Yeah. It's yeah. So I recommend going seeing it. It's on Hulu. Uh yes, Hulu, and you don't need a, a premium subscription. Yeah. So you can regular go see subscription Hulu. Yeah. yeah. Or see it on Hulu. Yeah. yeah. Watch it. It's good. How many we stitches? Like it. Uh, I'm gonna give it like an eight. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It's up there. Yeah. It's good. Yeah, I give it an eight too. Yeah. 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 I like this movie. Yeah. It's it's very different. It's yes. not like. And it's, it's unpredictable because yes. there's no dialogue. No so you dialogue. Don't know you don't know what's happening. There's a lot of little surprises. There's some jump scares. So yeah. it's still spooky. It's good. Yeah. There are definitely moments you're like, how is she going to get out of this? Yes. Mm-hmm. But it's cool. It's cool. Yeah. 
And even without words, you get the story. You like you understand everything. what's happening. Yeah. yeah. So Except the cool. ending, like Except I said. Except for the ending. <laughs> I have my theories on it, but we'll, we'll talk about it Yeah, later. we'll talk about it offline. Okay. And so we're going to go talk about it now. Yes. And so until next time, we'll see you, Stitchers. See you, Stitchers. Stitchers.